Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, Clinical Nutritionist for BN Multi. Today's episode is with Aaron Deer once more. It's the second in our gut-brain access podcast. Um, following on from last time, we covered the gut-brain connection and how it affects our health. And we also went into the anatomy and physiology of the gut-brain access. If you've missed that episode, it's a really good one to start with because it will give you the understanding of what we're going to go on with today. This time, we're going to explore the role of the vagus nerve in the gut-brain connection and how gut gut health can affect our immune function. We'll also cover how bariatric surgery affects your physiology and impacts your immune system. And we'll talk with Aaron about how mind-body exercise and um, its benefits in this area. So welcome once again, Aaron Deer. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. It's always a delight speaking to you and sharing all of these learnings and grow collectively, you know, in this ever-changing sea and ocean of information that creates so much confusion sometimes in our (laughs) mind. But as medical practitioners, it's our responsibility, I believe, in many ways to simplify this information and bring it to our audience. Yeah, and I think you do that extremely well with your broad understanding of the technical side of the surgery, as well as your understanding of sort of the underpinnings of good health and those pillars that we talked about last episode. I'm going to get straight into it today. Absolutely. Um, Let's go. Tell me a little bit more about the role of the vagus and the vagus nerve in the gut-brain connection. Yeah. So let's let's go into a little bit of anatomy, just briefly, not to make it boring. Vagus <laughs> nerve, as the name suggests, its course is very vague. All right. It goes, it's the longest cranial nerve. It's the 10th cranial nerve of the body. And um, basically, it has got a very long meandering course. It goes from the back of the brain, uh, then it goes, it supplies facial muscles, then it goes into the neck, it supplies and goes around the thyroid, then creates a plexus of nerves, which is called the cardiac plexus in the chest. And then it goes further down below the diaphragm and it creates a plexus, which is called the celiac plexus. And that is what supplies to the gallbladder, to the stomach, and also to other organs in the upper abdomen. So realistically, this is the first anatomical connection that you can actually say is connecting the brain to the gut. Now, our understanding up to say, you know, last 10 years or so was that the brain is controlling the gut. Anything that happens in the brain is going to be affecting the gut through the vagus nerve, through the signals that are going over there. However, recent research is now pointing out that 80% of the signals that are going through the vagus nerve are going in the opposite direction, which is from the gut to the brain. So it is a two-way axis, but predominant flow of the signals is from the brain Uh, sorry, from the gut to the brain. And that is why the gut is now referred to as your second brain. Mm. And that there have been books that have been written about it. And we can talk 
more in detail about it but coming back to what is it is that the only way how the gut communicates with the brain no there is a neurohormonal connection so there are hormones as you would have heard there are hormones like the endorphins the oxytocins the uh, uh, you know the uh, the the serotonin plus uh, the ghrelin and the leptin which are the appetite regulating hormones so these are all hormones that are regulating our appetite our metabolism and our internal physiology so in summary it the connection is not as simple as we may think but there are things that we can do as you referred to in one of the questions that we are going to be uh, touching upon is the mind body exercises on how can you actually trigger the vagus nerve see the vagus nerve is not just in motor nerve which means it doesn't control certain muscles it also control is a significant part of the autonomic nervous system now autonomic nervous system the best way to look at it is the automatic mechanism so it it basically does things automatically like when we are sitting and talking we are not thinking about a heartbeat and we are not thinking whether we are breathing or not well that is happening automatically in the background so that automatic nervous system or autonomic nervous system is a balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic sympathetic creates stress and survival and parasympathetic is rest and relax mm -hmm. rest relax and digest is what i say so yes. because it is related to digestion as well so if there is a balance well it functions well your body your organism functions well but if there's too much stress and the vagus is understimulated we want the vagus most of us in our current environment the vagus because the parasit the rest and relax response is not there we are mostly in a stressful state we want to balance it we want to find a way of stimulating the vagus now vagus can be stimulated artificially there are nerve stimulators available in the marketplace yeah. but I say, why do you have to rely on a device when you can do it more joyfully? And there are lots of ways of doing that. So that is the relevance of this new nerve, even simple deep breathing exercises. And I talk about this simple exercise. If you allow me, can I just explain what exactly this breath control exercise is? Because simply moving your diaphragm allows you to stimulate your vagus nerve. It's I quite talk simple, about this, yeah. Yeah, I talk about the box breathing. So you inhale, and when you inhale, you count until four. So you, you're taking a deep breath, and you're just saying one, two, three, four. So that's one margin of the box or the square. Mm -hmm. Then you hold your breath. Then you count again, one, two, three, four. Then you exhale, which is the other margin of the box. And you count in your mind, one, two, three, four. And then you hold your breath again. So that is called box breathing mm -hmm. or square breathing, whichever way you want to call it. And you are doing it with a count of four. Then you can slowly increase it to five, six, seven, and that really builds your internal resilience every time you're stressed just do uh, three or four cycles of box breathing mm. it also starts to become something that comes up automatically it's almost like mantra i suppose if you are a meditator and you've used that kind of practice eventually mm. once you've used it enough times your body goes oh here comes stress i better do my box breathing so it sounds like you know something that we have to kind of think about and yes you do initially just to remind yourself to do that kind of thing it's a lot about the out breath is that correct like calming down that um, sympathetic nervous system is a 
about the long out breaths? Absolutely. So what we say is either you can breathe out through your nose or sometimes, and this is a yoga exercise that it is called pranayama. Pranayama means this is what uh, you know we call in yoga when we are teaching yoga is that it is the art and the science of breath work. Breath is so powerful that breath breathing is what distinguishes a living from a dead person. All right. It is something that connects conscious with unconscious. Correct. It is automatic, but it is also under your control. So it is that fine line. It can take you from one world to the other. And that is the beauty of breath work. Now, most of us, when we are in a stressful mode, what are we doing? We've got short, shallow breathing. We are panting, you know, because we are anxious and stressed. But I'll tell you, and I consciously try and remind myself that if you are anxious, stressed, you are worried. If you just pause for a moment and if you just say, you know what, I'm just going to deep breathe for a moment before I make a decision. And I get plenty of opportunities in my life. Trust me. To practice <laughs> I bet this. you do. So whether I'm in surgery, whether yeah. I'm dealing with people or whatever, uh, staff absolutely. or students or whatever it is. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Let me calm down first, you know. And you know what? Nine out of 10 times I realize I just made a much better decision. What also I understand happens is from a when stress is on the scene is that it limits the access to the planning capacity of the brain, which is in the Absolutely. front. Absolutely. So if you can bring the breath in, calm down the base of the brain, which is reptilian, very um, primal, and just get those thoughts going past that amygdala that's going, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, and let that front part of the brain gain access again. There's That's where the good decision and the planning capacities come from. So often and you'll see people who are under that long-term low-grade stress, they're very reactive to life because they actually don't have the capacity to see what's coming and think about and plan their response. So they're constantly reacting and it's not always good decisions. So you, you really can see how just that awareness of bringing into the breath, calming the brain down and gaining access to that other frontal part would change your life, wouldn't it? Oh, totally, you know, and I've just made a video on my YouTube channel. I posted it today. My five R strategy for overcoming any stress that is thrown at you. And the first R is restrain. <laughs> recognize and restrain. Second R is restrain. First is recognize. The moment you're yeah. stressed out, you recognize that. Don't react immediately. I'm, I'm going to have to go over there and check this out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, you know what, for me, honestly, I yeah. always say I'm a student of life. I'm learning every day. Okay. I, I'm nowhere near. Uh, I would hate to say that I've mastered it all because we can't. We are always no. learning every day, you know. Well, let's say if you're not I learning, teach, you're dying. <laughs> yeah, the more I teach, the more I recognize that, yes, this is what I need to work more on. Yeah. So that's where we grow collectively, as I say. Absolutely. It's so, yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you. And so tell us then with the vagus nerve and the gut, how does all of this tie in with our immune function? Great question, Jackie. And I'll tell you firstly, uh, given that a lot of your work, my work is around weight management. Uh, the thing that COVID, last two years of COVID has brought to light is that obesity and COVID, obesity was already a known pandemic. And we now know that obesity is not just 
just the weight gain it actually creates a metabolic a physiologic change in your body it creates a pro-inflammatory state america one of the wealthiest most developed nations in the world and also the heaviest nation in the world had one of the highest morbidities and mortalities from the COVID pandemic reason was a diet which is high in processed foods and a unfavorable internal physiology by way of an inflamed state and mind you obesity is an inflammatory state there is evidence now that crp levels which are inflammatory markers il6 are all elevated in an obese person and now, COVID when loves the, that correct and yeah. covid creates inflammation in the body that's how yeah. the virus affects and it creates a condition called as ards acute respiratory distress syndrome which is a form of systemic inflammatory response and when that happens the first thing that affects is lungs these patients are not only overweight they're diabetics as well and that makes them further more prone to developing immune mediated conditions and catching infections and having a poorer outcome with it correct so yeah. it's a cascade it's a cascade it's like a negative vicious circle which is going one thing is feeding the other so when i talk about obesity with patients i'm not just talking about about, you know, okay, get your weight in shape or get in shape. No, I'm interested in their internal physiology. Let's see what the blood work is showing. And I tell you every time, nine out of 10 times, whenever I do their blood work, liver functions are off, insulin level is high. And I tell them when the insulin level is high, fasting insulin level, it is like you are driving your beautiful sports car with the handbrakes on, on a freeway. How long is that car going to last? not very long so that is where the the basis of understanding that obesity is not just excess weight it's also a pro-inflammatory state which makes you more prone to developing now in answer to your question how does the vagus nerve and how does the gut brain connection affect that inflammatory state i think we need to understand a lot of people think the function of the gut is to digest food and create poop well that is just one quarter of the function it is the number one organ that produces largest amount of hormones in the body it has got its own nervous system as we just discussed which is called the enteric nervous system but it is also the seat of your metabolism and your immune system like the lymphatics the lymph nodes the glands that are there so if your gut is inflamed and if your gut is unhealthy well you you can never have good immune system and it is not that your gut is unhealthy has to be firstly tested by endoscopies check where is your weight what is your gut function like people consider things like heartburn reflux bloating indigestion as normal you just go and take a somac take a nexium or pentoprazole and it's all fixed no that's a band-aid treat so it starts with looking at every aspect of your life and i believe stress has a huge role to play in your gut function the first thing to switch off is in a stressful situation is digestion and reproduction. So the body goes, okay, there's a bear chasing me down the road. Mm. I don't need to digest this food right now. And I certainly don't need to reproduce. So we'll just shut those systems down. And then, you know, if you're living in that state for a long period of time, what other systems are then impacted? Looking at liver health as well, which we see in particularly in um, weight loss surgery patients prior, is their, you know, fatty liver and all of that stuff. And the 
huge impact on, I don't think many people marry together the liver and the immune system. They figure they're two different things, but if liver's not happy at all and the gut's not happy, your immune system is way off track. So it's um, those things that even the pre-op diet is starting to start, try to correct prior to surgery. And then the diet that's um, prescribed, you know, high protein, low glycemic index, lots of fiber, that sort of stuff. Also, a lot of people report soon after surgery, they have these emotional, you know, one person in our group this week was saying they are uncontrollably emotional. They couldn't work out why just after surgery. surgery or? Yeah, just after surgery. Um, So it's a combination of the liver backed up with, you know, drugs and, and, and aesthetics and that sort of stuff, maybe some dehydration and just the whole system, not letting go those toxins as well. Um, And then the hormonal metabolic effects of the surgery that are sort of, I think they also forget that is that you've just had major surgery. You've had a lot of drugs. You've also Mm. now your endocrine system is going, hang on a minute, (laughs) what do I need to do with all of this? So there's a whole repatterning that's taking place. And I think that's really important to remind is that patients need to take the time after surgery for recovery, not so much focus on the, yes, they need to focus on the food impact and that sort of thing, but also recognize what their whole system is going through as far as resetting goes. I think it's really important to honor that process. just, Just on that note of resetting after surgery, the one thing that I have seen very consistently, I'm sure patients would be telling this to you as well, is uh, see the fat stores in your body are basically storing all the toxins as well. All right. The body wants, say, if you if you consume a food or a fruit which has got preservatives and toxins and chemicals in it, body does not want it to be floating around. It packs it away into fat cells because fat cells do not have as much blood supply. They can be just stored away. They can be tucked away. But after weight loss surgery, and this is relevant for fatty liver, as you just pointed out, Mm -hmm. your body is starting to melt all these stores. Now, when they are being melted, they are going to release these fumes in the form of toxins. And I say that patients are going to feel emotional. They are going to feel weak, lethargic, tired. The first two to three months is not as simple as what we sort of think that, hey, it's all hunky-dory. You've had surgery. You've rec- recovered from surgery. Wounds are healing well. Here we go. go. <laughs> yeah, it's not that. They, no. And I found one thing which really helps these individuals is radical hydration. And I found alkaline water. If they mm. can get alkaline water from somewhere, which is now available in supermarkets and all of that, it actually helps in the flushing out of these toxins. Fiji, they talk about the Fiji water. Well, Fiji water is the other yeah. one, correct. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's absolutely. Really good. You know, so. But that's exactly right. And the food that we eat, the plastics we're exposed to, the pesticides mm. in our food, all those sorts of things are mimicking estrogen. So a lot of patients have this hyper estrogen state, a lot of polycystic ovarian syndrome, all that sort of stuff, the biggest um, picture and inflammation. So then they're almost ramping up that estrogen picture in the process of the rapid weight loss stage. So mm. expect to be emotional. It's yeah. estrogen. And it's, men, it's not, men are also subjected to the the estrogenic state the, the oh. more fat you have the more estrogen so they'll be emotional too oh look absolutely and i think everybody responds differently let's be honest yeah. about it it's more about preparing yourself 
Yeah, good point. And so immune function, as far as that goes, would we expect to see an um, improvement in immune function after bariatric surgery? What are the impacts there as far as the surgery goes from a sort of physiological and a metabolic perspective? So I think uh, there are two aspects to it. You know, if we, if we look at it from a very objective sort of perspective, the first aspect is that of weight loss and a shift in the internal uh, metabolic state because of bariatric surgery itself. All right. And bariatric surgery we know creates an improvement in the the overall sort of liver function liver functions improve i'm just taking one example it, it mm. also improves the insulin resistant state of the individual so there is better glycemic control but that is one aspect of it which surgery creates the second aspect is that that the individual creates so making healthy food choices drinking plenty of water going for a morning walk now this will be a hard one to quantify quantify in any one study because mm. it's always a combination. One person is doing aggressive exercise in the morning, whereas the other person has also had bariatric surgery, but they're just lifting their fingers and arms. That's it, you know? So I think that is going to be a hard one to quantify, but a worth doing study, a study worth doing to see whether it actually is a synergistic effect. This is my, that one thing works with the other and it amplifies. So if you are eating more greens, you've had weight loss surgery, you will have a far more beneficial effect in your immune system. And I tell my patients a lot of, and there is this lot of uh, confusion around after weight loss surgery, how often should you eat? Mm. All right. And I, I, I follow this myself, even though I haven't, haven't had weight loss surgery, but I follow this, I eat in a window of time. So I eat, I have my breakfast at 8, 8.30 in the morning till about 6, 6.30 in the evening is when I finish my last meal of the day. Yeah. So that is my window of opportunity in which I'm having. And I'm having something every two hours. Yeah. I'm having some nuts. I'm having some berries. I'm having, uh, you know, a lunch, a healthy salad, things like that. The point is that this is almost mimicking the intermittent fasting. Yes. So rest of the time, I might have a piece of chocolate out with, you know, late evening tea or after dinner tea, but that's pretty much it. And you are getting the benefits of eating small and often, which means you're not shooting up your insulin levels too high by fasting for longer periods. Mm. So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is you're also doing intermittent fasting. Yeah, and once a fortnight, I try and do a detox myself. Mm. So that's my juicing day, you know, so I'm either having smoothie or juice or something like that, or generally on a weekend because I can manage it better. Rest. And that comes into the rest and digest. Like if you're busy digesting food overnight, you've had your last meal at 9.30 and it's, you know, a roast dinner, your body's very busy dealing with the food. It doesn't really, and sleep is that restorative stage where it needs, you know, less things to focus on. And one of those is digestion. So it's looking at, you know, removing that. We don't, I think we underestimate how much energy goes into digesting food and, and how much tax it is on the body in some ways, particularly if it's not amazing food. So t taking those longer windows, like a 10 hour block overnight, gives your body that chance to 
rest and digest. There's also a new term that's floating around a bit more in the mainstream, the autophagy, autophagy, mm. depending on how you, and that's also where your body is basically antioxidizing. Your brain's healing. Everything's being vacuumed out from that kind of cellular level when you actually take a break from food and have a good sleep. And I think that's the key is a lot of my patients talk about their sleep patterns and they're terrible. They can't sleep or they don't sleep or they are on screens all night. And if they wake up, they pick up their phone. And those kind of things are those major interruptions to that crucial kind of deep sleep and rest. Some get up and eat. <laughs> so then you're adding two things in that your body has to work on. I um, think with the sleep, can I just say this very quickly? The biggest enemy of your sleep is this phone. Oh, big time. Yeah. <laughs> I keep it. I keep it at least, uh, you know, three to four meters away from me because this yeah. is radiating yes. so much EMF, yes, which is affecting your sleep pattern. We don't even recognize it. And not even, and they've even done studies on that with kids and sleep is if the phone is in the room, they don't sleep as well. It's no. just the, the unconscious knowledge that the phone is there and they, they've got like one eye open wondering what's happening out there. It's so yeah, exactly. kids and phones in bedrooms is a no-no at our place. And um, even like people are charging their phones on their bedside table and that sort of thing. And, and I'm the same. I turn off the Wi-Fi at night mm. and I remove all the, you just need that space for resting and having less impact on the body, I think, which is also yeah. immune system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's so much, so much gold in what you're saying, Jackie, this is practical, but let me just clarify the term autophagy is linked with intermittent fasting. Yeah. It's not a new term. It's just come no, to attention. It's just come out. We, yeah. we studied it in med school and yeah. the whole phenomenon, as you said, is just like it is digest the, the cells are eating away the old dead cells. Yeah. I always envisage um, the Pac-Man game when yes. I talk about autophagy. It's like, <laughs> doot, doot, doot. it comes along and sucks up all the bad exactly. stuff that you don't want. Exactly. Um, there's a lot in that, I think. And they talk about, you know, early graying, early hair loss, um, early aging, those kind of things are real signs of um, people who are not detoxing well or not, um, you know, having this autophagic process take place very well as well. So it's well, over, I, overall, I, say, it will I age don't you. feel very comfortable talking about hair loss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's, but, it's but, also genetics at work, but um, yeah. yeah. But I think here's what I say. Um, I ask myself this question. How do you feel when you get up in the morning? How do yeah. you feel? Just, just one question. A lot of people get up and they say, oh my God, another day, you know, all of that. And I, I my family tells me that I'm the most creative in the morning. <laughs> like I just go for it, you know, yeah. and I've got a routine which I follow because that allows me to kind of channel this energy that I've had from a restful sleep. And yes. I think there is nothing more to be said about a restful sleep right from ch childhood. Like, you know, children, if a child is not behaving properly, the first thing the pediatricians look at sleep. is sleep. Tell me the sleep pattern. Yeah. If the child is not sleeping well, forget about everything else. If you've got health issues and weight issues, tell me how's your sleep. Absolutely. And no one asks them. Like, you know, no. I, I do not think that at least a surgeon doesn't ask, you know, tell me about your sleep. So yeah. the point I'm trying to make is that I think this is where the emphasis needs to come. If you're sleeping well, you Absolutely. will sleep well. And also you're emotionally stronger. More stable and you've resilient. You've got more, you're going to crave less. You've got more serotonin. You're more energetic. You're not looking for food to keep you going through the day. You're not using stimulants to 
just to keep you going. You're actually able to, you know, function well um, and balance all those neurotransmitters that are really key. And particularly when you look at serotonin, it starts in the gut and most of it is there. It's the first on the scene when um, inflammation is on the scene. So if you've got an unhealthy gut, you're not sleeping very well, I can be guaranteeing you that your mood is down and you're not healing well and you're inflamed because serotonin is nowhere to be seen. Um, It's just, and that comes from melatonin. So the melatonin is the sleep regulator. So once you mess up sleep, you've just, you know, throwing things in there that um, it's just a a total imbalance of neurotransmitters and poor choices follow that basically. Well, a simple way of remembering that is Mel puts you to sleep and Sarah wakes you up and keeps (laughs) you happy during the day, you know? So I I mean, like that's the beauty of these two hormones, melatonin and serotonin. And you need both of them in balance. Absolutely. Simply taking supplements from outside, uh, your body is a huge factory of making these hormones, you know? So that's why I say it's a neurohormonal link between your gut and your brain. So it's not just that, okay, I've tapped into my vagus nerve, uh, but it's really about understanding that, you know, this is happening at such an amazing level that probably science doesn't even understand it fully as yet. Yeah, it's incredible. And also looking at nutrition from that point of view, protein breaks down into amino acids which breaks it down and helps to make hormones and neurotransmitters and all your B group and that sort of thing, they're all involved in neurotransmitter production. So again, looking at sleep deprived, you know, high processed diet, it's there's a lot going on there that they're missing out on as well. Um, yeah. So it is interesting when you see a lot of kind of depression and anxiety and that sort of stuff in those groups, it could be just simply, you know, more, yeah. more healthy fats, more sleep, more protein. Um, and it certainly boosts your vitality and your mood pretty quickly. So moving on, to how we we know all about this now. So tell us how we would optimize our gut health after weight loss surgery. What are the things that we could put in place? Great, great. So what I would say is, Jackie, I've developed a thing called, and I'm happy to share this with your audience. It's like a PDF blueprint that I call the health optimization blueprint. All right. I'm happy to share this with you. It's a free download on my website. But what it is basically is, it's like, imagine seven areas of your life in which, you know, the seven sections are there. And I'll just touch upon uh, one or two of them in a little bit of detail just to keep it nice and concise. The the first thing that is really important to understand is that we've already spoken about sleep enough. So sleep mm. clearly forms an important part of it. But my interest is what do you do when you get up in the morning? Because we have to transition theory into practice. Yes. Okay. So my uh, emphasis is always that your morning routine determines how your day is going to unfold. All right. I say this 20-20-20 rule. So take one hour, get up one hour early from whatever you're doing. I know it's hard for many people. If you can't do one hour, start with 30 minutes before. All right. So make it, uh, this is what I like to do. Some days it is less, some days it is more, but generally speaking, that's what I do. So 20 minutes of meditation, Mm -hmm. Okay. 20 minutes of, and during this one hour, I haven't sent 
text messages, check my Instagram or Facebook or any, nothing. I don't do any, any of that. I, all I use my phone in the morning is to turn on Spotify and put soft, soothing music. That's all. Nothing else. And then 20 minutes of yoga or some sort of stretching exercise. I love mm. doing yoga. I've developed a routine for myself and that's what I follow. And if any of your audience is interested in checking the yoga side of things out, it's there as a YouTube video. They can see the structure that I have developed uh, as far as doing simple yoga. A lot of people think, oh my God, yoga is like headstands and this and that. None of that. My teachers, my yoga teachers used to tell me that there are about a thousand and six hundred yoga asanas. Yes. If you just did 10 of them regularly, you will have the benefit of all of them. And I tell you, I, I'm a living testimony to that mm. because I, I think, the, uh, as I said to you, if you ask yourself, how do you feel today? And if you're all the time feeling low, drained, lack of energy, well, clearly you're, you're, you're not feeling the best, you know, you're clearly something is not in alignment. And the last 20 minutes, I like to listen or I like to read something uplifting. It's my routine in the morning because once I'm done with that routine, then I'm just serving people. Then I'm inundated with, you know, when I say inundated, I mean, I've got my whole schedule, my yeah. daily diary, which is kind of, you know, okay, got to do this, this, and it is all prioritized. I got to do this, this, this. I have to operate as well. So I got to fit in those things during the day, but I need to be in an yeah. optimal functioning state. Then we talk about filling your cup first so that exactly. you can then, and your role is very much being there for people in totally, you know, in ways that most people will never know. But it's like, if you're not filling your cup, and I see this a lot in our patients is they've always been givers or people who, yes. you know, help others and put others first. And I really um, hone in on that after surgery is that this is your time now and it's mm your time to say no to things that are draining you or people or, you know, different tasks that have become yours that are actually don't belong to you. And actually setting those boundaries around filling yourself up with what makes you happy, um, helps you feel balanced and energized and then say yes. So it's, and people are like, oh my goodness, that's like a whole new way of thinking and feels, and I think it's termed selfish, but it's actually selfing. So if you're filling yourself first, which is really foreign to a lot of people, you've got all that space and the things that come in will actually just wash over you a lot of the time. So they don't mm. seem to get as stuck, you know, and um, it's just a, um, a more, you know, a beautiful place to come from, I suppose too. And then it's yeah. genuinely there for others. It's not obligatory. It's not, you know, you're not, you know, biting your tongue and helping others. You're actually present and um, happy, which yeah. is great. Mm. And it's so interesting. You mentioned that, Jackie. I get so many patients, women especially, who are in their late 40s, early 50s. And the one thing that they yeah. repeatedly say, this is my time now. Yeah. I have been giving all my life, giving, 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 you know, and I think there is so much truth that self-love is not being selfish. Yes. Self-love, a lot of people, it's not vanity. It's not like, you know, look at me and, and uh, you're full of, full of your own self. Not at all. No. If I am calm and relaxed, I can be of help to someone else. Otherwise, I'm just seeking attention and okay. draining energy from other people. You know? Yeah, so, you're right. It's got a different underpinning, hasn't it, really? Totally. Because yeah. totally. so, the difference between giving and being drained and giving and being uplifted because you can do something for somebody else and be yeah. there for them. There's a Absolutely. 
huge. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really you know, nice thing to explain. Energy, energy is like money. If yes. you don't have enough of it, how can you go and help someone else? You, know, yeah. you can't. So that's really what how I look at it. You know, mm, It's a good start to the day. Oh, look, uh, I have not regretted once ever doing it. In fact, initially, it is a discipline. It mm. seems hard. It seems, oh my God, you know, do I have to get up at five every day in the morning? But now it's second nature. I just yeah. love it so much, which causes me to sleep early as well. Yes. So yeah. I go to bed 9, 9.30, I'm, I'm reading something and I just turn off the light, phone is away. And the one thing, if I can suggest to your audience, the one thing that they can do that can really help them sleep better, just one thing is have a little, I don't have this, but I don't, uh, like a little notepad. Yeah, mm. here it is, you know. I have these notepads in my study and next to my bedside table. Anything that comes to mind, I just put it on that and I write it down and I just let it be there. And will you believe it? I started doing that about six or seven years ago. Yeah. Just have notepads next to my, on my bedside table. Anytime something that I'm worried about, I just write it down. I sleep like so much better yeah i just sleep so much better you know so i think these are small things that we can they don't cost a lot of money Mm. not at all but it's just the awareness in the current times that we live where we are bombarded with information from everywhere so you know messages instagrams phone yeah being selective yeah yeah i think you're right and it's handing that over then isn't it you write it down and you let it go so it's not you know, then developing. The other part of that is the box breathing that stops those thoughts developing into, you know, it comes in as, oh, I've got to do that tomorrow. And then you make up the whole story around it and you go down that rabbit hole of, God, what's that going to look like? And here we go. But I think once you get that mind control, you can Mm. go, okay, that's not, I can't think that yet. It's not time for that at the moment. So it doesn't expand into this thing that's going to gobble up your night's sleep. It's, you know, and, and it's deciphering. It's not the time for that right now and write it down so you do remember later on. My thing is it doesn't come back up for me. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of engage in it sometimes. But it's it's overall breathing, gain the mind control that you need to just, you know, not develop that whole big catastrophe at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. And then you start the day feeling awful. So it's, yeah. um, gosh, we could talk about sleep for a long time, couldn't we? <laughs> so optimising gut health after weight loss surgery is the breath exercises, obviously being aware of kind of re-engaging that vagus nerve. We also have patients who talk about, you know, I can't swallow a tablet that makes me gag, which then I go vagus nerve is not happy. And we need to learn how to relax that whole system. Basically, if you can get food down, but can't get a tablet down because it's, you know, it's makes you gag. If there's ways of doing that, I do it through singing, like loud singing, or I encourage like gargling water. Gargling is, yes. It will help um, calm that system down or the deep, you know, long in breath, long out breath Mm. um, also helps as well. Do you have any other tricks for that kind of thing? Well, look, uh, yoga itself Mm. uh, is something, it's a mind-body exercise. And I don't say just yoga, you could be doing qigong, you know, you could be doing any of the mind-body exercise that allows you to ground yourself in the present moment certainly very helpful gargling you've said cold shower is another thing you know just get into a cold shower if you want to reframe yourself and it it kind of you know helps you immediately stuns you in a way yeah. that you know you calm down even hot water bath I have had hot water bath and it just kind of you maybe the day must have swallowed you with things mm. but just 
lying down in hot water bath. These are, again, small things, but you need to be conscious of taking out time for that. To do that. Yeah, that's and it's habit. I suppose too is um, encouraging those habits as well. I think we're wrapping up with time at the moment. I was looking at how long yes. we've been talking. It's um, an interesting conversation. I know. We could keep going, you know, but yeah. I know the day has it's got a, a lot of other sort of commitments. Yeah. Yes. And so, do you have anything? I mean, we'll put your links to the PDF in our yes. show notes on the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast or website, um, and we'll also put links to your Instagram and your YouTube channel and that sort of thing so we can explore you know all of those connections i think it's yeah it's it's quite an incredible marriage the clinical as well as the you know metaphysical and the uh, mind body i think it's really nice to to actually bring those together and help people to understand that the surgery is one thing and also there's so much more from a holistic perspective that they can bring to the table as well and just being mindful of those kind of you know good food choices and healthy lifestyle choices as well and stress management it's um, it's all a big picture overall as well and that's why we call it a journey right absolutely and i also say that it's a marathon it's not a sprint life is a marathon (laughs) i think surgery or not we're all learning i think unless you're really questioning things and looking at ways to wake up and think here comes the day um we're really doing ourselves a disservice in that way and i think people come to the point where they accept this lower grade of um, vitality and you know it's life i get up i drag myself through the day I come home and I'm dying to go to bed Mm. um you know that's not necessarily life um so it's wonderful when you do see um patients sort of two or three years after surgery who've done all of these things and changed their health trajectory just they talk about how you know they've got their life back and I just think that's um it's really wonderful to see that they've um you know been able to implement that well thank you um once again for your time I'm sure we could um, Jackie can I acknowledge you I've seen your journey over we've known each other for over a decade i'm sure you know and i've seen how beautifully you and roger have evolved this practice of serving people and i really feel uh, that you know you need to be acknowledged for this both of you need to be acknowledged for this to bring out information in such a holistic way through your podcast through your printed material through your other channels so Mm. congratulations to both thank you you very much we're really excited with the new um being healthy um trajectory as well we're really excited about that the new brand is fresh and it's personable and it's real we've used patients from our community who wanted to um, be a part of our website shoots and that sort of stuff and that's when I realized how many people were touching I didn't actually get that it was just wonderful to see and thank you yeah it's um it is been a journey for us and that's really what we're about is community and Mm. and offering these you know safe places to go to get you know well-backed information on how to make your life better it is what we're about so I'm glad you recognize that thank you absolutely um wonderful we'll We'll see you very shortly and take good care of yourself thanks thank you so much bye 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 Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.